You're listening to episode 38 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is all about gifted and talented children. Around the world, no doubt, there are various terms used to describe children who learn differently to their peers, who are excelling in certain domains. Here in Australia, we reference it as gifted and talented, and there is also what we call twice exceptional, and we're going to get into all of that today. Now, I'm going to start by saying that this way of labelling children can often be misunderstood and misinterpreted. So today's episode is going to help debunk the myth and the stereotypes around this. You'll also learn the difference between gifted, talented, and twice exceptional and understand how it's diagnosed and why a parent or educator might look to diagnostic testing for children. You'll also discover today what some of the indicators are for identifying giftedness in children and also understanding some of the challenges that are often experienced. One of the important things that we also want to know is how to best support children and their learning. And this is going to be relevant no matter whether you're a parent, a carer, an educator in early childhood school, or of course, if you're a professional working with children. So let's get the chat started. Melinda Gindy has a background in music teaching across primary and secondary settings and is the leader of diverse learning at a kindy to year 12 school in Sydney, Australia. Melinda is the president of the Australian Association for the Education of the Gifted and Talented, and she's also the founding president of Gifted New South Wales Incorporated, and she was founding national facilitator of Gifted Awareness Week Australia from 2015 to 2019. Melinda is also an Australian delegate to the World Council for Gifted and Talented Children, and in 2016, she published Twice Exceptional Music Studio, or 2E Music Studio, an evidence-based resource for music teachers focused on meeting the needs of twice exceptional children during private music lessons. Melinda does work in a volunteer capacity across multiple education sectors, including writing and consulting for the recently delivered New South Wales Department of Education High Performance and Gifted Education Policy. And just last year, she was presented with an honorary fellowship of the Teachers Guild of New South Wales. Melinda has presented at several local, state, national and international conferences, including 2017 and 2019 World Gifted and the Twice Exceptional Research Symposium in Los Angeles, USA. Melinda, welcome to Chat About Children. Hello, Sonia. Welcome. It's lovely to be here today. You have been one very busy lady. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> you could say that. I mean, a lot of my work is really not, it's not about me and it's not about working as a solo. Every role there is part of a team and you know, teamwork is very important. Fantastic. And, and you're right. And particularly when we're supporting children, no matter what the support is, it's always a team-based approach, isn't it? Absolutely. I think we'll be discussing that further too today. We will. We will. Can you tell us just a little bit, Melinda, about what got you into this whole area of giftedness? What led you to where you are today? Hmm, absolutely. As you know, I have, I have a background in music teaching, so we've been involved with educating children and working with children for quite some time. 
really it was the prompt of the needs of my own children um, that led me into researching, being involved in promoting gifted education. And now, you know, as as we now raise teenagers, my husband and I, we, um, you know, I reflect also on my work with children as a teacher and in an educator position. Fantastic. So for a lot of the listeners out there, some may have an understanding of giftedness and talented, but could you let us know quite basically, what does giftedness mean? Absolutely, Sonia. So in Australia, when we talk about giftedness, we talk about an individual having natural abilities or aptitudes at levels that are significantly beyond what we might expect for that that individual's age. And they could be in in any domain of human ability, such as the intellectual domain, creative, social, emotional, and the physical domains. So we call it giftedness being that natural human innate ability. Mm. And so how is that different to talented? So talent in Australia, we look at talent as being the development of giftedness. So whereas when we look at giftedness being that natural ability, untrained natural ability, talents are the the outcomes or the specific skills of those learned capabilities. So what we see in terms of achievement or the the manifestation of giftedness. Okay. We see them quite different. And um, actually in all states and territories across Australia, in all government education jurisdictions and in quite a number of other school sectors, we see schools using a model of giftedness and talent by Professor Professor Gagne. And this particular model is called the differentiated model of gifted and talented. And what it does is it distinguishes between the development or that natural occurring giftedness or high potential and differentiates between that moving across, if we, if we can imagine that, to the, the high performance of talent or the outcome that we see from developed abilities. Okay, so my first question on this one is how is it diagnosed? Now, from a speech path point of view, I know that mm-hmm. you know educational psychologists are often engaged. Tell us more about who does the diagnostic testing, because it could be more than or go beyond that. And mm-hmm. how is it diagnosed? What are they what are they doing and you know looking for? Because testing always sounds scary. Look, testing does sound scary. And it's to, you know, testing and looking into giftedness is about identification. So there are a number of researchers that identify that when we're looking at intellectual giftedness, for example, that it can be measured with rather valid instruments. So, you know, particularly in, in that domain, I mentioned the domains of giftedness before, but when we look at intellectual giftedness, it can be measured in a way and um, there's a number of intelligence tests uh, that are known to have the highest levels of reliability when we, turn, when we talk about intellectual assessment. So it's not so scary as, as we would say to diagnose, but when we always look at you know, conducting assessments in any area, we're looking at finding out that little bit of information about the nuances of a child and how they're made up and what their needs are. So 
What's quite interesting in terms of, you know, identification or diagnostic testing for giftedness is that there are there are actually other tests offering formal measures of giftedness in other domains. For example, there is the Torrance test of creativity when we're talking about those other domains. But, you know, when we, when we consider this, it's important to remember that formal testing is only one way of identifying gifted students. So we do look at parent-student feedback teacher observations and and marry that in with what we're seeing as well. So the diagnostic testing or identification is um, when we're looking at uh, the full assessments. If I just go back for one moment to the intellectual identifying, formally identifying intellectual giftedness, that is usually uh, conducted by a registered qualified psychologists particularly an educational and developmental psychologist who has the, both the qualifications to use the testing instruments and at the same time um, has that experience in working with yeah, the nuances of an individual child's needs and profile. So what about the other areas, Melinda? So that psych would test or diagnose that intellectual capacity. You mentioned the creative capacity or domain. How are those other domains assessed? To my, so to my knowledge, there's not a lot of testing around um, those. I mean, if we look at physical domains, for example, you'll have a number of groups or associations, for example, the Australian Institute of Sport, that would have a number of criteria that they examine when they're they're looking at the potential, remember we're talking about the potential of a child. So, for example, Diving Australia, when they're looking at screening for what one would want to say, they're, they're potential divers, so divers that might move into an elite sport program, that talent development program. They may be certain things that they look for physically and that they test in terms of the genetic you know, disposition of a child um, and then other areas. So there's not um, not sort of a firm test available that one would measure that I'm aware of. Yeah, you kind of move into if you're seeing signs of, I guess, your child excelling in a particular domain that is outside the intellectual capacity, you kind of look at someone within that field or industry that can ascertain their potential. Is Have I That's understood right. that correctly? Yeah. That's okay. right, yeah, you know, um, and we look at that, you know, particularly, for example, in the music domain and, you know, what that that potential is there, that natural curiosity that, you know, even probably down to the physical structure of, you know, fingering, arm weight, natural emotional capacity that comes out of their development. So there's those sort of, you know, early, early signs of it, Yeah. Now, you've mentioned early signs, so I've got to ask, what are the early signs? You know, what what could parents notice? Because, you know, some parents might be going, look, that's just, that's my child, that's just, you know, that's them. They may not necessarily interpret anything as, oh, that's a sign that they could be you know, they just kind of see it as as their child and, and maybe it could be an early childhood educator that might need to be aware of signs. So tell us a bit about the signs a parent and or an early childhood educator might see. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, I My recommendation generally is to avoid a checklist. One can go and do a lovely Google search and find a checklist of signs. The challenge with 
accessing and using a checklist of signs is that one might read, you know, something on that checklist that may have been the case for some gifted students and then, you know, rule that student out. Oh, my child can't be gifted because he or she hasn't learned to read at age two. So there are a number of, there are a couple of signs that we see, I guess, globally across uh, gifted children. And there are some signs that we we see that some gifted children can present and sort of give us that little alert to, hey, there's something a little bit more going on. So, for example, gifted children are often keen observers. They, they're often quite curious and acutely aware of things that are developing around them. And they may, they may persistently pursue like a line of questioning, you know, that child, oh, but why, but why, but why? And they don't let something go. They want to investigate a little bit further. Um, so that's a, a common characteristic of gifted students. And they think abstractly. So from when they're conversing, represent areas outside, um, what their students that are typically the same age as them might respond to or might or might see, they might see alternative uh, solutions to to questions or an alternative questioning, which is quite common as well. So, and sometimes some of these gifted students they they have an ability to think a little bit uh, more critically and analytically when we compare them to the neurotypical peers. Um, so there, and there are of course things that we do see in young gifted children you know, who are not even sort of formally identified. We can see uh, students who may read early, but once again, it's not a, it's, it's not a given. It's not a, a checklist in or out. They may hold uh, or retain more information. They may be able to uh, hyper-focus on one particular area of strength be going on for them environmentally or physically as well which is why why it's a little in some ways it's a little bit of a gray area yes yes absolutely but I think that that element of just observing I guess the your individual child and the children that you work with as we do anyway I guess but certainly in the education early education setting there's there's that observation that's that's very continuous in terms of monitoring their development and what's happening for them. With children, I'd imagine there would also be children who are, you know, gifted and talented that are misunderstood, if I can use that word, misunderstood in the sense that they might show other behaviours that might be misinterpreted. And so is that something that you see happen or, you know, can give us feedback on, I guess, as to some behaviours that might come through that are not obvious, like, oh, yeah, you know, my child or this child could fit the giftedness category because there's a bit of a diversion with a behaviour that could be exhibited potentially. What are your thoughts on that? Look, see, I think one of the challenges that we see in our society, Sonia, is that, you know, giftedness is can be promoted or equated or put out there as a myth that giftedness is genius. And so unless we're seeing a child in the classroom that is completely compliant, produces work that is absolutely exceptional, is the teacher's pet, 
that sort of character, there is a myth out there that, well, that's the genius child, that's the gifted child. So if this child or my child, this student or my child is not like that, they can't be gifted. And and whilst um, giftedness is, so giftedness in and of itself is not exempt from anything else happening for that child except for a low IQ. So what that actually means is that a child can be gifted, intellectually gifted, and they can have ADHD. They can be intellectually gifted and they can wear, need to wear glasses. They can be intellectually gifted and blonde or a brunette or tall <laughs> yeah, of course. or short. And yes. so you see my point here is, is that there can be anything that goes on or that other students, um, that neurotypical students experience can be exactly the same for a gifted child. And so sometimes, you know, if we've got a child that is insatiably curious but completely non-compliant, sometimes we respond to that non-compliance before we look a little bit deeper and say, okay, maybe there is a couple of things going on here, you know, around that, or maybe the child is disengaged from their learning. Um, that's also the, the, the case there as well. So, you know, it, it can be quite a puzzle um, to, to tease out for parents and educators to tease out what is going on for that child. And, um, and that's why in some ways educational and developmental assessment, a comprehensive assessment, can really look at that whole profile to the, of the child and start to tease out well, what is going on for this child, what do we need to put in place for their learning and provide for their learning. Yes, and and thank you because that what you've highlighted there is breaking the stereotype, which is very very common. That kind of that understanding of giftedness means this, 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 and they don't have any other issues. Whereas it can be quite, yeah, quite misunderstood. So thank you for kind of busting that myth and that stereotype. So in terms of you know you covered there really a reason why parents would want to go ahead and get some testing done. And that's really to, and it's the same, I guess, again, with speech pathology assessment, we want to know how to best support this child, what areas do they need support in? And then we, you know, we look at um, a learning program that's individual to them because they do learn diversely. So I also, you know, talking to other parents, Melinda, when they're talking about their children, I've, I've heard a mixture of sentiment, I guess, where a parent will be keen on, yes, I'm going to um, look into testing and understanding if my child does fall into that gifted category. And then on the other hand, I've had a parent say, no, I don't want that at all. I, I feel like my child is probably, you know, she, you know, for example, was gifted and went to a selective school and all that kind of thing. But then there's a reluctance that she didn't want her child to be tested and go through that. What do you think that's about? Where, what, what's your feedback on the discrepancy that's out there? Mm. Look, parenting's a tough gig. Yes. And in some way, yes, it's a tough gig. And when you've potentially got a child that's outside the proverbial box, outside the neurotypical peers, they're presenting different, we're not sure what it is, that's hard. That's hard to process. That's hard to investigate. And you're going to come at this as a parent with experience that you had 
as a child or experiences that you might have heard from others. And so that type of response really can be quite common. There is there's a fear of, well, if I identify this, what does that mean for this child? And I, look, I think when I'm talking to parents, I always say, okay, if we can investigate as much as we can, then you've got the information you, you need. And then we can choose what we do about that. Parents, it's not a matter of parents having to say, okay, my child's identified as gifted. I'm going to put a gifted label on them and I'm going to say that just because you are gifted, that means you go. I have to go out and discover the cure for cancer. So we're going to be studying now for the rest of your life so that you can do that. That is so unfair and unrealistic. But actually that is a concern that the parents do face. Do I have this new expectation of my child? And what we always say is that when we've got that information, we can really work collaboratively with all the stakeholders. So parents working with teachers, working with external professionals, working with education systems to plan what is going to best engage that child. So just like we talked about earlier where giftedness can manifest in different domains, it also we see giftedness manifesting into talent in different areas. So a child that's identified, for example, in the 99th IQ doesn't mean they have to go on and be one of those perhaps, for want of a better word, cliched jobs, but very important jobs. Just as importantly, they may find their calling, their vocation in other areas of basically of society. There, there is no... It would be wrong of us to put any pressure on that, but I always think that the more information we can have on a, on a child and understanding what their learning needs are is really important. So if we talk about, for example, one of the there's two core main psychometric assessments that we have in Australia. The most current one is the, the WISC-5 or the Wichlark Intelligence Scale. That actually looks at and unpacks verbal comprehension, perceptual reasoning, working memory, processing speed. By having that, those subtests and understanding that information, we can see where a child's strengths lay. And in fact, sometimes we may see a comparable deficit come out, in which case we then look at unpacking that child's profile a little bit, a little bit further. Fantastic. Thank you for clarifying all that. And it is, it can be a big decision, you know, for parents. Mm -hmm. And I think the reasoning behind it is really important. And I think talking to someone like yourself, who can just help understand the benefits of it, and also how to actually present it, and how it is, I guess, digested, because the label itself and the associations that people make, I think that's where some of the issues can come up. So just an aside, but maybe giftedness label could turn into a different word of some sort. <laughs> I think that's, anyway, that's another topic. But yeah. yeah. I mean, look, that's, to be honest, that gets floated around. But I think in any word you're going to use, it's going to come with preconceptions, pre-emotions. So, you know, the work that I do with the state and the National Gifted Associations, we actually look at debunking the word. Yeah. And really getting to society, well, what does that mean? 
giftedness itself is not elitist. It's not a golden lottery ticket. It's not a walk in the park. It's an identification of students that are in, for example, in Australia, we look at that top 10% that have learning needs that are different to their neurotypical peers. That is it. It doesn't, giftedness does not take away from any other minority educational need that our students have. It just reminds us that we need to. But Australians grapple with intellectual giftedness. They don't seem to grapple so much with talent development in sport. <laughs> yeah. We celebrate it. We rejoice in it. And so we should. But also so we should intellectual giftedness. Yes. Yes. Agree. So tell me with the testing component, you mentioned a couple of particular assessment tests. From what age are kids able to be diagnosed? Okay, so the junior version or the younger version of the WISP-4, you can actually use it younger from age four. But typically the WISC 5 is used from age six to 16 years. So it enables testing for that age group. Okay, so from four to about 16. Yep. Now, we haven't really talked about twice exceptional. Tell us a little bit about what that means. Yeah, so twice exceptional, it doesn't mean that a child is twice as exceptional, twice as gifted. Twice exceptional means that these are students who have two exceptionalities to their neurotypical peers. So one exceptionality is that they are gifted, so we've talked about that. The second exceptionality is that they have a learning disability that prevents them from accessing the curriculum and showing what they know like their neurotypical peers do. So it's a child who is gifted and has ADHD, a child who is gifted and has cerebral palsy, physical disorder, a child who's gifted and has autism, you know, those elements. So, yeah, I mean, Karen Rogers is one of the international researchers in twice-exceptional field, and she identified that up to 14% of the students who she has worked with are twice-exceptional. So we're still working on some research here in Australia, and there's some progressing at the moment in terms of number of figures. But, yeah, it's a concern because these are the kids. See, twice-exceptional kids are the kids that aren't don't quite fit in the gifted group, they don't quite fit in those students with the students that have learning disabilities. They kind of fit in both. And so, you know, sometimes we're we're confused as parents and as educators, well, am I supporting the learning disability? Am I supporting the giftedness? How does this all work out? Does one play over to another? Does one mask the other? And so this is a field that that I'm really passionate about because often these are the kids that don't get their learning needs met. Yes, these would be the ones that, and I'm thinking of lots of kids, you know, even at the clinic, that I think these are the ones that come and see us in year two, year three, that have just slipped through the cracks and then everything starts to surface at that point where there's lots of questions and they're not learning as they should, et cetera. So, so there's a lot of work that you're doing in that area and that is happening in that area. Correct, yeah. yeah. That's reassuring. Uh, there's a number of researchers in Australia and a number of projects going on in in Australia. And in fact, you know, state departments are actually standing up and identifying this as well. So for example, the new New South Wales gifted and high potential policy that was released in July last year, 
for the first time in New South Wales that actually incorporates students who are gifted with a learning disability. So we tend to use that language in Australia. The research literature also incorporates twice, twice exceptional or dual exceptionality. So we're actually progressing and making steps in Australia to recognise these students. Fantastic. Fantastic. Much needed. Melinda, a couple of things before we finish our chat today, because this is a fascinating topic, which I know we could both talk about for quite a while. But I am thinking of the children who, and the families, and also the educators, but there are real challenges that are faced, you know, by children and their families, children that are gifted or twice exceptional. Are there ways or very simple ways that we can best support these children in, let's start with the home context? Look. We've talked a little bit about today about not, as parents, not sort of setting that standard that, okay, because you're gifted, you must do X, Y, Z. My suggestion for parents is to engage your children in their area of interest. So if they might be formally identified as intellectually gifted and they love cooking, go and cook with them. Go and enjoy that. Follow their lead. And it doesn't necessarily have to be things that involve a lot of money. There are so many community events that you can can tap into now um, in their areas of interest, provide them those opportunities. Um, Even memberships of museums that enable you to go back quite regularly um, and the kids have that involvement. The other thing is for, for families that it's just as important for, as it's just as important for the children themselves to have time with like minds, it's actually just as important for the parents to find support for themselves because often they're the only family or they're unaware of other families in preschool or in school where their child is bright, is gifted, and we're seeing that, particularly students that go through acceleration. So it's really important that parents connect with other parents and then they have that opportunity to dialogue, to share and to travel the journey of raising these kids together. Yeah, that's huge. And that support is really, really important. And there's some wonderful ideas for what to do in that, in the home context. And it's nice that it doesn't cost too much money. It is really quite, you know, kind of following their lead and their interests, which is fantastic. In the school context, it's a little bit more of a challenge. And this is where there are different challenges because it is group learning and there are structures in place, etc. How can simply, what simple way that students can be best supported in the school context? Well, research shows that gifted children learn best when they're appropriately challenged. Appropriately challenged doesn't mean that they're pulled out of class once a week for half an hour to go and attend chess club or for 45 minutes on a Monday morning to enjoy extension mass. They actually need access to a suitable curriculum that matches their level of their readiness to learn. So what's really important on a school context, school context is that students are appropriately pre-assessed so that we are pre-tested, so that we understand when we're starting a new topic or an area, we're understanding, okay, they're coming in at this level. That means that I need to engage them at the higher level. The new Australian curriculum is set up as a continuum it really enables us as educators to have access to vertically extending students in enabling them that opportunity to learn. It's sort of not a one-size-fits-all, but, 
you know, we do have that opportunity in the classroom as educators. I mean, one of the core challenges that we have in our system that despite there being over 400,000 gifted and high potential students in Australian schools, actually less than 10% of Australian initial education providers incorporate a mandatory module of gifted education. Hmm. So when we think about that, that is profound. That is Hmm. profound. As a nation, we are failing to provide our educators with the knowledge and the tools that they actually need to engage our brightest learners. So my encouragement then is for schools, for the executives of schools, for school systems to seek and source and provide and nurture the staff in their schools with professional learning around gifted education, encouragement for postgraduate study in gifted education so that we're equipping our teachers with the resources that they need to support the diverse learning needs of their students in the classroom. Thank you, Melinda. I think that needs to be said many, many times in many, many places at different levels. And yeah, I completely agree. And there is certainly a lot of work to be done in just supporting and and helping, as you said, right at the start, teamwork. So much teamwork involved in training professionals and in a complementing way. You've done the post studies in or postgrad studies in giftedness. I've done the postgrad studies in this. Let's chat, you know, let's come together and discuss and complement our skills. So thank you. So that's wonderful advice and wonderful recommendations for all the educators listening out there as well. Can you tell us a little bit more, Melinda, about what work the Australian Association for the Education of the Gifted and Talented do? Yeah, so the the AAGT is our National Gifted Association and it's committed to furthering the education um, of gifted and talented students in Australia. So it serves a number of members of uh, different backgrounds. So we have our rural, remote, regional families and educators. Similarly, of course, our metropolitan families as well. And what what the AAGT works on at a national level is engaging in those conversations with key stakeholders in education. So education ministers, ACARA, AITSL, so that we can be advocating for the needs of gifted students at that national level. Just as you mentioned, Sonia, you have specialty in in an area. Let's dialogue together, you know, so that we can bring that learned knowledge of gifted ed. And that's what we sort of say when we're working with you know, other national education bodies is they're bringing, say, professional curriculum background. Okay, we're bringing gifted education into that. So, you know, the AAGT's core focus is to looking at that. We, the AAGT also has the only peer-reviewed printed academic journal in gifted education in the Asia-Pacific. So we prioritise the publication of academic research in gifted education because we know that academic research informs best practice and so it's really important that our national association is behind that and then of course there is a number of projects that the AAGT does particularly what's um, right at the forefront of our mind at the moment of course is, um, is Gifted Awareness Week Australia. Yes, yes. What dates does that run? That's from 
Tell me. So this year it's from the 15th to yep. the 21st of March. So typically it's in the third week of March each year and those dates are set annually. And, um, you know, Gifted Awareness Week Australia is now into its sixth year mm. and it's a real celebration, a week of celebrating giftedness throughout multiple domains right throughout Australia, right from a school-based level, individual level, up to a systems level. And, you know, we're at a point now with Gifted Awareness Week that we've really progressed on our international collaboration. So it's very exciting this year to actually have launched a collaboration, a joint thing with New Zealand and also with Jamaica. Wow. And so, yeah, and so this year globally or in those countries we're exploring the theme of well-being and you can hear the undertones of all our conversation today where well-being the well-being of gifted students is so pertinent to all of these areas that we've been discussing 100% 100% and it sounds like there's some amazing work going on so i'm very pleased that you're able to share all of that on the platform today with Chat About Children. Can I ask you, though, for those that are wondering what's going on in Gifted Awareness Week, is there a website? Is there, obviously, there's promotional stuff going on, but where can people find things? So, I mean, a Google of Gifted Awareness Week Australia would be the easiest thing to do. It will come up. But there is, if you go to www.gaw.aagt.net.au, Fantastic. There is actually a whole website. Although Gifted Awareness Week is a project of the AAGT, we have created and developed a website that's a subset of the AAGT one so that we are really focusing on Gifted Awareness Week in terms of you can go up there, there's a whole lot of resources, there's a blog um, going on, there's a whole lot of events going on right around the country so you can tap into those events. And there's just so many different ways, actually, of getting involved. That's great. And it's great that we have access to all of that. It's just such, you know, rich value that you're providing. So thank you for you and your team for all the work. That's that's just amazing. And just to finish up with Melinda, tell me what messages you have for parents who might think their child is gifted or twice exceptional and also for the professionals working with children within this category. What are your kind of take-home messages for them? Look, Sonia, my take-home messages are a few things that we've brought out today. One, find that passion for that child or that student and seek to provide opportunities for them to really nourish themselves, to investigate, to thrive in that passion area. That might be for professionals or for educators, that might be finding a mentor, you know, another teacher in another class who that happens to have a passion for Star Wars, for example. And you know, the little Johnny in year five, you know, little five-year-old Johnny can go and have a deep and meaningful conversation about that. Find what that passion is and nourish and engage in, in that passion. Know that you're not alone. Know that you can connect in to your state gifted association. To know that you can connect into events. I think When I was starting off the gifted journey, I call it as a parent, there are two profound points which were were turning points for me and one of those was a conference. I just went along to a state conference, I sat back, I soaked in the information, I met people that got it, 
I built connections and the rest is history from there. So go along, get involved. Every state association which is affiliated with the AAGT is a volunteer association. Go and get involved with those. And the other thing is open up in terms of dialogue. Let's chat about this. It's okay to talk about. Let's work collaboratively together so that, you know, we can best meet the needs. When my children were little, I remember about week two or week three, I wrote a little letter to their teacher just outlining the strengths and challenges that my child had. And I said, always said, oh, you've probably noticed a few of these, but I'm happy to have a chat about it. Without fail, within 24 hours, I had a phone call or an email back saying, oh, this is so wonderful. Let's get together and talk. Fantastic. When we can work together as a system, we make so much more difference for the needs of the children. And, of course, to include their voice in when appropriate is really important as well. How are they feeling about things? What do they need? So there's probably a few messages and takeaways, but, yes, that's where I would encourage people to get involved. Thank you. And they're, they're, again, they're super valuable takeaway messages there. And, and thank you for also including in what you just said there, talking to the child about how they're feeling and, and right. what they, where they're at with everything. And I think you know, often they are building and some of them are more, often quite self-aware. Oh, completely. Yeah. And so having them involved, I think, as you mentioned, is just such, a, such an important part of the mm-hmm. process. So thank you for including that in that message. Melinda, I'm so appreciative. I thank you so much for the chat today. And I encourage everyone to go and have a look at the, I'll just say to Google the (laughs) AA or the Australian Association for the Education of the Gifted and Talented and to, to get involved at looking at or reaching out and see what's going on during the Gifted Awareness Week on the, what is it again? The 6th March, the, I can't, I can't remember. Ah, uh, 15th, so actually, yeah, 15th of March to yep. the 20th of March. 15th of March. The, the formal week. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much, Melinda. I appreciate your time chatting to us today. Thank you, Sonia. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic insights and valuable knowledge there from Melinda Gindi. Certainly does allow an appreciation of the diverse learning needs of our children. No doubt you may know someone who would benefit from the information presented in today's episode and I would invite you and love for you to share this episode with family, with friends and with colleagues who you know will value the information. Also, please do remember to subscribe to the Chat About Children podcast and it would be great to receive a rating and review. And if you haven't already done so, do check out the great resources we have at chataboutchildren.com. Thank you so much for your time today. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich, www.chataboutchildren.com.